Good morning, hogs. Uh, you're hearing me at the start of this episode because this is an unlocked bonus that we are unlocking to tide us over while Hussein is on his honeymoon, becoming God's perfect wife guy. This will be the last unlocked bonus episode. We will be back to our regularly scheduled programming starting next week. Although we do have a new bonus episode posting uh, on Friday of this week, so look forward to that. But without further ado, please enjoy one of my personal favorites of our uh, bonus episodes, because ooh, God knows I just love Dr. J uh, so much. Welcome to this week's episode of 10,000 Posts. Uh, it's the show about how everything is posting. It's the show about how my cough still hasn't got away. Um, it has gotten a bit better, but I am still like a bit sniffly. So I am like suffering the most out of like many, many people. Um, send me gifts. Send me like, you know, uh, supplements and stuff. Uh, my name is Hussein, by the way, if you didn't know that. Uh, and I'm joined by my co-host Phoebe Roy, who is still not sick. No. Or isn't sick is good. No, I'm still Pretty not chill. sick. No, I'm in the rude, wow. I'm in the rudest of health. I'm almost insultingly on, on insultingly God, well, like not sick. Maybe it's like the water in South London. I don't know. Well, I wonder if we should ask an expert in South London living. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are once again joined by Dr. Eleanor. Do how's it going? Yeah, it's all right. Um, I'm not sick, although I am allergic to everything. So you know, I'm just a nerd with it, without like yeah. being able to actually take time off work. So that's that's cool. That's good. Yeah. I knew a guy who was like, who genuinely felt that because he drank South London water, that he was like immune to everything. Um, well, we know it. Maybe it's because I'm using a Brita. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So like my. That's my problem. Yeah. There you go. There you go. My, my girlfriend got me a Brita filter uh, last year and because she was just like, I can't keep coming around here and like drinking like South London water because, you know, she lives in North London uh, where mm. all the other poshos live. Um and uh, I will say it did change my life, but I feel it has sort of like uh, weakened me as a person. It may have emasculated me in some ways. Um, we can yeah. talk about that a bit later in the show. That's a little treat for you. Um, yeah, I think basically if I wasn't filtering it, my immune system would be too busy fighting off whatever it is that's in Southeast London water and it wouldn't be simply attacking me. But here we are. Here that's we are. Right. That's right. Hey, we're posting our L's on this one. Um, mm -hmm. No, thank you for coming back on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, uh we can uh we'll, we'll be talking about some of the stuff that you've been up to uh in, later on the show but in the meantime i thought that we could uh have some fun with some posts oh, yeah. um first of all a little update from our friend greg kelly uh <laughs> Ellen, do, you, do you know who do you know who greg kelly is uh i'm mostly just aware because i saw these tweets in particular today but yeah. i was i wasn't aware before but he seems uh, really mad at a crop top so. We we've done like a few we've done a couple of episodes on uh Greg Kelly. Uh I think that he's like probably the best poster mm. or like at least one of the best on this site. Um and the reason why is like so like Greg Kelly works for like a like a fairly far right news organization. I it's like a kind of Newsmax situation. I'm okay. not sure whether it is Newsmax. But he's like one of those types of guys who uh was a bit too much for Fox News. However, his tweets are really something to behold because like the way that they're written is, I, I can't quite describe it. It's one of those things where he like randomly kind of capitalizes certain words. Um, he uses a lot of exclamation marks. Um, it's very like, I think if you got Adrian Childs 
and uh you get and you kind of exposed him to twitter all the time i think you would something get something close to greg kelly but not quite right the thing i like about greg kelly posts is that a lot of his ailments like because he posts a lot about just like the ailments that he has or the um like minor uh inconveniences that really aggrieve him and a lot of them are like rooted around sweet treats Mm -hmm. um oh (laughs) like he's posted about getting like ice cream headaches and slurping like <laughs> slurping uh like the big gulps too fast and getting like a sugar rush he's talked about like how addicted he is to like sweet things and how he needs to go on a diet but in a way in like a kind of soccer mom way so like he's this guy who like really wants to engage in culture war stuff but like his mind is just so addled by i'm guessing like e-numbers in american food but like he just can't do it and i think so here's a tweet that he posted yesterday um, I'm going to post it in the chat now just so you guys can see it. Um, it's definitely like one of my favorites recently. This was sent by friend of the show, Will. Um, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it now. Uh, Greg Kelly writes, Cookie, I love cookies. C is for cookie. Cookie is for me. I do not like gay cookies. Sexuality, in quotation marks, <laughs> has nothing to do with the cookie experience. Cookies are for all. Basically, cookies are, uh, quotation marks, asexual. Why is the woke left in capital letters messing around with Oreos? Stop the insanity. And he's posted this picture of the cookie monster uh, from Sesame Street. Oh, it's just, it's just such a good post. It's so good. Um, oh, I would think that this was kind of like a, a shit post or, a, you know, a parody. Really, like I, I tried to stop myself from laughing, but I simply cannot because this is too good. <laughs> yeah. It's um, so good. What is this in response to? Um. I don't know. I feel like I think that some of it's related to the whole like Florida don't gay don't say gay bill like in like to like the kind of pro- the prohibition of uh so, like certain kind of forms of like sex education in schools in Florida. What does and that have it's expanded, to do with Oreos? Well, it's expanded into this culture war, as it always does. Where so Disney had said that they were going to invest more into like LGBT teaching and like you know resources and characters and all that stuff and. Um, I think other companies suggested they would do the same or they would sort of ramp up like LGBT representation in response to this. And I feel like Oreos might have been one of them, but I'm not sure. But like, nevertheless, I guess the kind of context of this is like companies who are um, kind of showing kind of very basic solidarity for LGBT people Mm. in the wake of like all this legislation. Okay, Um, but what is the, what is the, what is the solidarity in terms of its meaningfulness? Like, are they? I mean, uh, I mean, it's not. It's, it's not. Are they really. improving just... material conditions? Yeah, in oh any God, way, no. or are they just? No, they're adding a couple. No, Oreo is going to add a couple. Cookies. They're going to add a couple more Oreos in the pack. Maybe there's going to be there's going to gonna be some rainbow packages. It'll be yeah, it'll be rainbow packaging for Pride Month. So I so I kind so he's kind of he's kind of right, just not for the reason that he thinks he is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what I think probably my favorite thing about this tweet though is saying that cookies are asexual, um, which it is interesting because it implies a that other foods do have a sexual orientation, mm-hmm. but also fundamentally being asexual is a sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. So he's saying he's saying that food stuff is actually sexual. Yeah. Um, mm. And so it really opens up a brave new world. So, he, so he's say. saying. So he's saying that cookies are on the spectrum of sexuality, mm-hmm. but according to his own misunderstanding, he is saying that they are outside of the spectrum of sexuality. 
Whereas other foodstuffs, and because it, it's really only cookie specific. Mm. So, mm. what do you think he thinks are the gay foods? Mm, I think, I mean, I definitely think that he thinks that all sweet treats are supposed to be asexual. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I don't, but I don't know because he's not really clear about it. And it's interesting like, because, like, there there is a kind of like um, that there is this sort of like ideas about masculinity more generally, though, that tend to say that, for example, sweet things are outside of the spectrum of like masculinity, so sweet yeah. things fall down on the feminized end. So I feel like this is kind of like a um, he doth protest too much sort of situation because what he's attempting to do here is say this thing that I enjoy actually is outside of that that spectrum and I can keep my masculinity intact even though I'm interested in this thing which is often feminized. I think it's quite interesting. I think it's quite interesting the idea of trying to kind of hold on to a very particular construction of masculinity but also eat cookies at the same time <laughs> yeah i mean um I'm, I'm just also kind of wondering i'm like okay so cookies are asexual but are they aromantic mm. or like well, what's what's going on there you know frankly i don't i don't want to think about cookies being either aromantic or romantic <laughs> because i don't want i don't want to assign human feeling to to a cookie Oh yeah, I feel like we've had this conversation before about we have, yeah. <laughs> this also extremely this falls under like you know the kind of like trad cookie posting as well that you see when people get really pissed off when it's a gingerbread person mm. where they're yeah. all like tell me about the cookies dick or whatever you know and so this is see, that, you know that to me is weird yeah. as well because like as like as far as I was always concerned like gingerbread men are called gingerbread men as a kind of example of masculinized language like not because yeah. they're literally mm. supposed to be men they don't they don't have anything going on well mm. well well eleanor welcome to Ten Thousand post the first question <laughs> well the first question do gingerbread men or do do gingerbread uh do gingerbread women have penises um wow i feel like <laughs> it's none of your business you know that's <laughs> that's my answer you know that's right um yeah. Just as like a side note to that, uh, yeah, talk radio who have like their, their new thing at the moment is like they get every politician to come on. Uh, and the first question that uh, uh, Julie Hartley Brewer asked them is like, do women have penises? Um, and now they've expanded. So they sent like a guy out. They're like their intern out to like Westminster to ask random people in the street, like, do women have penises? And it's just like, yeah, I think this is great. This is great for like political discourse. Mm. Um yeah, and, and also like extremely normal to like for like, all right, well first thing, do girls have pagina? <laughs> you know, like what's going on here? You know, it's Yeah. Uh, the, other thing, the other thing I was thinking about in relation to sweet stuff is also there's this other aspect of like the trad right or like the kind of like online right who are obsessed with seed oils. And um because seed oils are kind of yeah. used in lots of kind of commercial products, um, including like, you know, lots of sweet foods and everything. Um, there's like this other discourse around like like heterosexual masculinity which is very much um all sweet things including oreos are feminizing and you should stay away from them so mm. i don't think like greg has necessarily kind of like got into contact with that aspect of like the right just yet i don't think he will i feel like his brain is too soft to necessarily do that but it's an interesting like evolution from like i guess like the last time you were on where we were talking about like these kind of trad guys living in uh, paintings, and mm. one of those sorts of famous paintings are, you know, the man coming home from work and his wife and his like dutiful homebound wife uh, has spent the afternoon making cookies, 
so that they're nice and warm and ready for her husband when she when when he returns mm. um mm. i thought that was like an in- it's like an interesting evolution of that like that kind of thinking yeah i think that it's there there is this thing here where one's home probably should have these feminized traits because you you have this captive woman in your house mm. who is who's providing these things right but at the same time it's supposed to be kind of like a masculine thing to be like oh but i'm not interested or or, or that sort of thing so i mean here we have i suppose in greg a study of the ability to kind of ignore particularized points about uh right, yeah. like if it doesn't suit your own narrative so you know like my man's my man's thing is sugar like go off, go off greg um <laughs> so so he's just going to not participate in that bit Right. And, and that is kind of the thing, though, about, um, I think, especially people on the right is that, um, you know, their core philosophy is not necessarily it, you know, it's much more malleable than <laughs> yeah. actually, you know, you know, thoughts of that can be on the left, for example. So, you know, if you don't really, you know, everything is already for you. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, oh, well, how far can I push the button? Um, like how, how far along the spectrum can we, we push things to make them easier for me? What's the easiest way to kind of like rile up some engagement so that my job at the, you know, right wing content factory says that I've done, I've done well. And, you know, you can then pick up or put down any of those things that you want. So you could like rail against soy if you want to, mm. because, you know, it's got nice racist connotations and that sort of thing. Yeah. But then you can just choose not to get involved in anything that involves sweets if what you actually like is sweets right mm, so yeah. mm, mm. i think it's like interesting talking about how it like, expanded out into culture war stuff because isn't it it's the other way around isn't it that the culture war is a is this kind of giant and kind of fa- sort of now kind of faintly nebulous mode of production and way of doing politics and way of doing culture and then that then 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 manifests itself in dangerous material ways as opposed Mm. to the other way around yeah i I would agree with that because you know largely i would say that the culture war is um it's a distraction Mm. um so you know the culture war exists to keep people from actually you know interfacing with what what's going on Mm. in the world so you know if you can keep people mad about oreos i guess then um you don't they, they don't get mad about you know the myriad other problems that are are they are having. You know, uh, people who yeah. are or who are always wound up about like um, how the cookies are gay now aren't going to go on strike. You know? See, I I kind of like I agree with, <laughs> I I agree with you, but I think for like Sorry. I mean I mean like you know maybe maybe we should have a bit more faith in people. Maybe you can be mad <laughs> about cookies and go on strike. No, yeah. you can't. No, you can only be, you only be focused <laughs> you on one choose. thing. You got to choose. Yeah, you got to choose. It's one one thing at a time. One thing at a time. Well, yeah. I think I well, I think with Greg, it's like he's not even doing this in a concerted way because as we've spoken about with him, like like he's someone who seems like the thing that I think I love about his tweets is just that he's very sincere about everything, right? Mm. Which is why like the kind of like bizarre, you know, but not even rants, but just kind of like he's in pain. Like in every post, he's in pain. Like remember that post. <laughs> Remember, remember that post when he was really sad that like no one on the subway like talked about his like fancy trousers. Oh, that guy, of course, I yeah. remember this. Guy. And he was, and he yeah. was like, and it seemed like he was genuinely ups- He was genuinely upset that no one complimented his trousers. Right? It's like he's a very sincere guy who just wants to be loved. And this is where I think like the Adrian Charles like similarity kind of comes in. Mm-hmm. Although I think Adrian like has a nice wife and like he's just like a regular person. 
who just has like these very mundane anecdotes. Um, but like, I wanted to like read the second thing from before we get into like the before we get into like the rest of the show. The second like interaction that Greg has had with uh, Lil Nas X, uh, I think today. <laughs> So um, this was in response to, so Greg Kelly had written, uh, again, under a screenshot of Lil Nas X's performance at the Grammys uh, this week. Uh, Greg Kelly says, Lil Nas in capital letters has a big problem. Uh, and so does America. Knock yourself out, Nas. You're a little fool with zero talent with like five exclamation marks. Um, the picture that he uses is Lil Nas X like performing and he's wearing, you know, a crop top and, you know, he looks good and ripped and like, you know, good for him, right? He's like living his best life. Um, Lil Nas X responds, damn, Greg, all I did was wear a crop top this time, two crying emojis. Uh, <laughs> Greg well, Kelly quote tweets back. He says, it's not, the, it's not the shirt, Nas. It was the public lewdness. Um, again, in capital letters, uh, you know there are laws about about that in certain quote jurisdictions. <laughs> uh, but jurisdictions. Again, that's right. But again, you were in Vegas, capital letters. So who the hell knows? Bottom line: sing and dance, but don't. Uh, but no public self groping. Decency. Um, mm. Lil Nas X says, "Apologies. Have a great night." Um, to which Greg Kelly says. I didn't like the performance, but that shouldn't have been on primetime television. But I can't deny you have a real talent, and it's not, <laughs> not and it's not nice to call anyone a fool. Uh, you call, you called me out in a good natured in quotation marks way. NP, good luck continuing your success. Just tone um, it down a notch next year. I I love I love that he went from you have no talent to okay all right you you have some talent but that that's amazing. That's a, one of the biggest walkdowns I've ever seen. Credit to Greg. Credit to Greg. Oh, yeah, it's just, yeah, it was like a very oddly sweet, like a very oddly sweet ending mm. um, to that. And just like, yeah, he likes the music and he's just kind of, you know, I, I mean, again, and I, I, this will like, we'll kind of talk about this in the main segment, but like you can see there are iterances of him trying to kind of do the whole outraged right wing news presenter thing, right? Like when he sort of talks about Lil Nas X as like, you know, when he uses terms like degenerate and stuff like that, mm. uh, groping, I think is another one. Like those are very clear kind of terms that he's using for a very specific reason and in this case being like the current sort of american fixation with like grooming and uh you know manipulation like mm. this, and this kind of broader like panic around like lgbtq people um but at the same time like i feel like greg just can't commit to it and not or like i don't know it feels it sort of feels like mm. it's kind of like overt sincerity kind of gets in the way of the performativity that you kind of need to be a convincing right wing mm. like yeah uh, he, host right he shouldn't have walked this back if he wanted to be you know um if, if he's looking for kind of like fox level notoriety he can never stop being mad mm. you can never like like the important thing is to always be mad and never log off right mm. yeah so but here he's admitted that you know yeah little Nas X is talented and that like you know he's a nice guy he's mad <laughs> <laughs> he's also <laughs> You know what? He's just a he's just a he's just a nice chill. He's just a nice chill dude. He just needs to just have a little bit more, you know, more in the way of coverage in his t-shirt. That's all he's mm. saying. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting this whole self-groping thing because the first thing I thought about was like Michael Jackson. Mm. Right. You know, like doing the crotch grabs and I'm sort of like, yeah. I don't know, mate, I thought that we did this in the 80s/90s or whenever, like this particularized moral panic, but I guess you know it wasn't a gay dude, so you know, and like uh, there was that whole thing about Madonna, I think, also on like the sex tour with this mm. sort of stuff. Um, but yeah. Mm. Worth pointing out that uh, Greg is actually a big fan of Madonna. 
So no, okay, all right, no, like what's up? If you are if you are a big fan of Madonna, you do not get to do <laughs> the I'm sorry, but this of, this performance is lewd thing. Big fan of Madonna. In fact, I have a Greg Kelly Madonna pose. Oh no. my god. Yeah, okay. Hit, hit, hit me hit me with it. Alright, so what I'm gonna do is anything which is in caps, I'm gonna I'm gonna shout, okay? Okay, alright. Alright. I happen to be a Madonna fan. <laughs> and one of her best songs, best songs uh capital is capitalized, um, and quite underrated is La Isla Bonita. <laughs> Translation into English, the pretty and or good island. It was more about some Spanish bullfighter dude she liked than any island, if you read between the lines. Strike a pose! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, first of all, I love the idea that uh, La Isla Bonita is like, (laughs) is is somehow like um, underrated. Yeah. You know, Um, you know, classic, uh, like, you know, the people go off. People Mm. people get rowdy for La Isla Bonita, you know, Um, but also, um, one of you know, complete side note here. But when I was living in rural Moravia, once I went to a karaoke night, and there were some girls who were saying it like La Isla Bonita, <laughs> and I was like, "This is this is perfect." No notes, never, never change, Khrushchev. <laughs> but um, like, the, it, it's interesting because he's wrong about public reception about this. But also, I like that we're adding strike a post to the end. Like, this is a perfect tweet. Sorry, this is perfect. This is perfect. He, like- this wow. is the thing. This is the thing I love about Greg. It's like one of those things where, like, I will kind of massively disagree with everything that he says, but at the same time, I'll read a post of his and I'll be like, "Just miss once, King. Just miss once." Yeah, like um, <laughs> they're all just like they're all like they're all kind of just perfectly made and written. And I think it's like, I I think it's just like nice seeing someone who like is genuinely having fun on this website because it mm. seems like so few of us are. So yeah. when you do like come across someone who is like not trying to kind of scam you with a crypto product um or like being like or taking joy in people's misery just sort of like using the website the way that it was supposed to be made which was to kind of air your minor kind of grievances about your everyday life mm. um in or like a funny Madonna, well, you know yeah, i mean i have both, like, i right? have a, i have a, i have a thought on this and it's that greg kelly is the op- is the uh, is the like spiritual and philosophical opposite of the cry laugh emoji everything that the cry laugh emoji is greg kelly stands <laughs> stands like stands fully against Mm. Um, I I also I also appreciate his um, like he he probably wouldn't think of it necessarily in these terms, but his like his his extraordinary respect for the kind of the hit like the history of like camp and campery because mm. like his callouts are very drag queen like mm. <laughs> actually mm. like whenever he gets into like whenever he gets into beefs it's always. It's always in this very kind of like deliberately kind of like reading pub like like public kind of mm. sort of dr- sort of dramatic and kind of performance language and yeah and like even like even finishing off your post about how you like Madonna with the words strike a post like like mm. that why not mm. just why not just stick stick a flag in your pocket my friend. Yeah, because yeah, this is this is this is this is campery, and I and I simply love it. Yeah, like this mm-hmm. is my culture right here. So you know, it's it's very difficult for me to like get my head around that you're doing these things whilst also accusing little Nosex of public lewdness. It's quite interesting. So it's like we've got a kind of like prim campery. Yeah. Also at the same time, it's not like I mean, literally, we had there was a moral <laughs> panic about Madonna 
banging a black dude on an altar once. Yeah. Like calm down about public lewdness. That's all. Yeah. Mm. It's, you know. Yeah. Again, like, in, like interesting to be a, a, a huge Madonna fan and to also object to public lewdness because that was kind of her stock in trade. Mm. Well, here's well, well, here's something fun. Um, apparently, Greg Kelly might be a RuPaul fan. Um, oh, okay, into, all right, yeah, yeah. He just, he, just for the fracking, though, that's the main thing. <laughs> in, in, in in 2011, um, he when he was uh hosting on a Good Day New York, Greg Kelly, um, not only said that he knew all the lyrics to the classic "Back to My Roots," but that he knew that he knew the he knew the lyrics. Better than RuPaul because RuPaul was guesting on the show, right? Mm. I, I, yeah, so um, yeah, I think there's some evidence to actually suggest that, like, he, I, I, you know, that Phoebe, you might be right about, like, um, or at least you might be onto something with, uh, with, with the like the drag queen callouts. Yeah, I won't rest until I find out what Greg's opinion on uh, RuPaul <laughs> and Big Freedy is seminal classic peanut butter is. You know, this is gonna be this is gonna be an obsession for me. Yeah, I'm gonna cause, at yeah. him. Yeah, because it's Bill not like it's not like I'm saying, oh, like oh, he's like a like a like a massive public homophobe, and therefore he must be gay because that I think that's no. that's a very I think very weird and quite offensive framing, mm. um, mm. and also. I think, uh, I think unintentionally, but I think it does diminish the role, like the structuring role that homophobia plays in a lot of queer people's lives. Mm. But and and like it, the structuring role it plays in a lot of kind of you know, sort of material kind of policy making. But it's it's not that it's gay; it's that it's camp. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a camp straight guy. He's a he, yeah. He's. He, yeah, it is. He's it's like he's like a du- he's like a double he's like a double drag queen. There's like drag somewhere beneath. He's a he's a drag queen he's doing great guy drag. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's it's extremely like when you know someone on Snatch Game decides to go as a dude. Like yeah. that's, that's yeah. what's happening. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, because I mean, like, I mean, tweeting pictures of Cookie Monster about how you, much you love Cookie. I mean, like, come on, <laughs> come on. I have one more thing to say yeah. about this, and then we can move on because I just realized yeah. that we have been talking about this for twenty-five minutes, and that's fine. <laughs> and that's to me, fine. to me, that's not enough time. It's not. Yeah, it's not, not enough, enough time. time. I could talk about it for more. This is the bonus. We can do what we want. Um, I think it's interesting if you're going to be like like mounting a defense of cookies particularly kind of a defense of cookies against the kind of the inexorable march of kind of what sort of of sort of woke cultural queering Mm. i think using a picture of the cookie monster to illustrate it is like is really interesting because like in terms of again in terms of like the kind of philosophical space that that he occupies the cookie monster is not deemed to be a like a model for the consumption of cookies. He's an example of what happens when you go hog wild on the cookies. Mm. He's like, he is a warning against a hedonistic approach to cookies. He is a, he's, he's, he's supposed to be a kind of, he's supposed to be a kind of cautionary tale in favor of cookie stoicism. Mm. Okay, so, so basically what we have here is that Greg relates to the cookie monster like dudes on the internet uh relate to like heisenberg yeah he has it he yeah. <laughs> this, is, he has this it. is what i'm saying <laughs> yeah it's like no this is supposed to be like you're not like no you're not supposed to like don draper oh god but he's done that. <laughs> but because he's so pure and wholesome he's done it with cookie monster yeah incredible <laughs> yeah yep mm-hmm. yeah great i am i am always saying that um <laughs> 
yeah, I think that's a good place. This is a good place to end the end end this in end this week's Greg Kelly update that took so long that we're not we're not we're not we're not going to talk about we we have like an Elon Musk thing. We'll talk about it like some other time because I feel like there is yep. something else that Elon did recently that probably warrants some attention from the show. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. uh, just a little just a little thing that he's done, which may or may not affect the future of this of of, of our podcast. Um, no, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, something a little bit more serious, kind of. Um, I don't necessarily know like. I don't really know how to describe it. Um, but so Eleanor, last time you came on, we spoke about like the trad phenomenon and we talked about it like as an aesthetic, right? Mm. So, and I encourage people to like check that out. I think it was like, I can't remember at what point last year we did it, but it's somewhere in the archive. It's, it's uh, absolutely s- ages ago. That we- mm. Yes. Mm. Since, since then, um, since then, like I've kind of like been in and out of kind of looking at the trads and what they're up to. But what's been very interesting to see but also entirely predictable is how the trad aesthetic, which I think we talked about as being this kind of like weird amalgamation of um, like hyped up mythology, uh, misinterpretations of the past, um, uh, along with like, and along with just like um, the kind of continual reproduction of imagery as we see online and how that kind of informs like identity markers and formations. Um, the way that's now evolved to kind of incorporate, like, uh, well, for lack of a better term, TERFs, mm, uh, trans exclusionary mm. radical feminists, uh, uh, like GC, whatever you want to call them, although we are going to call them TERFs on this show. Um, and I think just like this kind of broader, these kind of like broader, uh, how this is sort of like coalescing around things like the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida, um, the ongoing efforts to kind of, uh, diminish uh or at least like significantly reduce uh lgbtq education in uh american schools um here in the uk obviously like it's very much advanced in like uh, among trans people um uh texas the texas criminalization yes Mm -hmm. yeah that too i mean there's a a lot of stuff going on and i guess like the kind of struggle is like separate so like in america there seems to sort of be like this assault on all-out assault on like lgbtq um education and influence where like trans mm. where like the trans element plays like a part in that but of like this much broader culture war in the uk i wonder whether it's going to happen in a similar way but like at least at the moment much more resources are being fixated on trans people and the existence of trans people yeah. but like within within that type of thing that it seems there seems to be this like you know and i'm, and I'm trying to figure out and may, maybe eleanor this is like a good place to start i'm trying to figure out how best to sort of describe the kind of like cultural war that is happening or like the kind of like cultural moral panics that are happening around this where it doesn't actually seem to be about like trans people in and of themselves it sort of mm. seems to be this broader kind of like fear of um you know uh there seems to be like this broader fear or, around like the dominance of like cis heterosexual like yeah. you know arrangements and marriage like nuclear mar- marriages families and so on um i've butchered that partly because i'm sick partly because like i'm just very confused by all this but maybe that's like, a good place to start <laughs> um yeah like what's what's kind of like happening from the way from the way that you see like this convergence what's kind of happening where do you think it's sort of come from and crucially like is this like a new thing or have we sort of seen these types of like moral panics before 
Well, it, it's really interesting to me because these particularized moral panics um, have, uh, remind me a lot um, of the sort of satanic panics in the 1980s, certainly, where there's this kind of like um, large other that's grooming children, taking away children, um, and these sort of things, um, we, we kind of see like the same tropes brought up over and over again, which are, you know, these highly sexualized individual who are, individuals who are preying on children in nefarious ways. Mm. Um, but one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot recently, because I've uh, I've uh, plug, I've written uh, ab- about this uh, kind of extensively in my my book that's coming out um, next year, uh, where I, I talk a lot about gender roles in society. And one of the things that I find interesting about the trad turf overlap in terms of posting is that the trads kind of come at this idea of like there's this kind of you know they they say that the the issue is trans people, but really it's kind of like the not heteropatriarchy. And trans people are just kind of like the the soft target. Um, that's a problem because of what society should be, and because of what traditional patriarchal mm. role, uh, gender roles are within that. Now the turfs are coming to it in another way, which is quite interesting, where they are completely uncritical about society. Uh, they think that the society sort of like should kind of shake down into um, this really, you know, uh, gendered way. Um, but that it is a function of biology. So you can kind of replace God within that thinking with just this idea of biological determinism, where, uh, you know, again, men are the way that they are because of, you know, um, oftentimes you see like a completely like unscientific studies of the brain saying men's brains are totally different <laughs> or our women's brains are totally different. And then yeah. that, Oh, you know, there's, you know, ridiculous studies about this, like, um, you know, pink brain, brain, blue brain, things like this, where it, it, which is just ridiculous and have been shown over and over again to be unscientific. But, um, you know, you kind of see this in like the turf factory, um, AKA Mun's net, um, where it's interesting because the, these women are usually in really, uh, heteronormative, relationships right these are women who are married they have like child if not children um they are married to men and they think that the root of all their problems comes from their biology it's like oh well i got stuck with the uterus so that's why my life why my my life sucks and my husband won't do the the damn dishes because you know how men are right and it's this Mm -hmm. kind of um biological pessimism that comes along with that on the other side of that, with the trads, they're like, well, this is this is the way that God ordained things. And there is this really old kind of, you know, it's it's lit- quite literally ancient. You see this, you know, in, in the work of St. Augustine, for example, and the other church fathers. But this idea of yeah. divinely ordained gender roles by God because um, nature and God are the same thing. Uh, essentially, like there's a divinity in the natural world because God created everything as it should be. Therefore you know, nature as made by God sets up society in the way that it's supposed to be. And then from this, you get the the idea that women necessarily must be um, subdued and subjugated and you can only have missionary sex, right? Like these are, these are the whole thing. So you kind of have this crossover um, of coming to the same things from different directions, but it's the same, it, it, you get the same outcome essentially, which is that well, the patriarchy is good actually because uh, ladies wouldn't want to fight in a war and they can make cookies. Uh, on the other hand, um, <laughs> and, but it's it, it, it actually you have exactly the same sort of realization, but you come through different arguments, um, and you know it's just this kind of homogenization of what the outcome should be, or this idea that society has always been a particularized way, um, and that. 
ideas about women are have always been static. And that's not true. You know, ideas about women are changing yeah. all the time, except for the idea that um, they are weak <laughs> and, and bad and that men should be in control, right? So yeah, yeah. Like quick summation there of, uh, you know, a couple years worth of thinking too much about gender roles, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it, it's interesting because these people don't necessarily see, I think that the, the people on the trad side see people on the turf sides as allies and understand, right? They understand that the, that what they're doing is related and they, they seem to have, for example, a better idea about posting. Right. Like, um, the trad guys kind of know exactly what they're doing. And like, I try not to get too involved with them or like rile them up too much or you know if i do want to dunk on them i'll like screenshot and anonymize so that they don't get you know the points for it mm. for the most part um and it's because they know what they're doing they, they they say these kind of deliberately provocative things on purpose so that people will show up and say actually like you're a moron mm-hmm. and, and here are these things but it will get to the people that like, it will get to their soft targets right mm-hmm. and the soft targets are actually people who are like turfs who have absolutely no media literacy at all whatsoever, who are just on there to like, um, say, uh, hashtag I stand with JK Rowling from their like 12 sock puppet accounts, but like don't know how to um, parse media in a particular way. And, you know, that's has a lot to do with, I would say, the age range mm-hmm. of people who are turfs. So, you know, we got a lot more, we got a lot more boomers, we got a lot more Gen Xers or real turfy, right? And they just don't have the kind of like media literacy or savvy that is able for them to see, oh, actually, like I'm on these people's side. So you see them instead go, oh, well, you know, strange bedfellows, ha ha, even a stop clock, instead of saying, oh God, what have I done? You know, I've kind of like yeah. strayed into mm-hmm. this this right-wing cesspit. Um, and of course, you know, there are there are reasons for this that are like actually material. You know, the, the Koch brothers are funding a lot of these guys. Like don't ask, you know, certain individuals uh, who write about these things prominently, I won't say their names, but, you know, certain political lesbians, uh, where they get their money from and things like that, you know. Um, so, you know, there are some people who, you know, they're, they're natural bedfellows and they kind of like know it, but they, but they don't care because they're literally being paid. But you also just have a lot of women and, and men I mean, you see a lot, you see a lot of turf dudes as well who like, I think, but I think the turf dudes just think they're going to get play. Like I, gen- <laughs> like I genuinely, genuinely believe that Glinner is in all of this because he thought he was going to like get some pussy, um, <laughs> but he just got divorced instead. So, you know, he, and he thought that like, you know, he would get a regulation girlfriend once he got divorced and it just didn't work out that way. Uh, but <laughs> you, you know, the posting that, that comes out of this is interesting because there's a lot more savvy on the trad end because the the trads are kind of selling you something um better than the turfs are so the turfs are kind of selling you um this is as good as it gets and um you will and we will all be material damaged if girl with pp use toilet right then then you know like that all they can give you is like oh things will get worse whereas the trads are selling you if we bring back like a more patriarchal culture if we bring back a more masculine focused culture things will be better uh because so weren't, weren't things better like you know remember when drink from host pipe i don't know like uh you know like a like these kind of call outs to um the simplicity of childhood essentially but they think it's cultural right mm. and, and that you know your life will be better i do think um, that's i do think that's very funny when mm. when people just like oh do you remember when things were like like this and like clearly like so like 
that clearly we didn't have to know about all this like terrible stuff that was like going on in the world and like everything was like kind of simpler and nicer it's like you do you understand that that is a picture of you as a six-year-old mm-hmm. and six-year-olds now are probably much the same as that yeah yeah um in terms of like how they are if like they are like fortunate to be in kind of in sort of loving contained households that they're probably experiencing life much like a child drinking out of a hose pipe mm-hmm. although um, although having said that maybe like maybe six-year-olds now are not the best example since they've like lived through this to them very um like very difficult to uh conceptualize and negotiate crisis which has meant that they've like been indoors and not like socializing yeah. and stuff. So my, maybe not six year olds now, yeah. but like no, six, my, but like my, kind of six year olds yeah. in general. Like the like the reason is not because the world was better and more simple, it's because you're remembering the time when you mm. negotiated mm. things more simply because you negotiated them like a child does because you were a child. Yeah, remember when you could just cry and you'd get stuff? That's what like my my remarkable <laughs> yeah. young nephew, that's how he like defeats me in the battle of ideas. Um so when I say to him, don't drink water from the hose, uh he's just like, shut up, boomer. Um remember <laughs> re- re- remember when remember when your hose water had like sediment in it? Um yeah, and that's how he defeats me. Uh Why would you yeah. want to drink out of a hose? Like he finds know. it fun. He thinks that he thinks that the jets are very fun, and no, I'm just no, no, like, no, why no, don't no, you no, drink? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm sure your adorable nephew does, but like, but like, just like in general, like of all of the things that you could be nostalgic for about your own childhood, I feel like drinking out of a hose is just a very minimal. Like, like we're talking about, like kind of, oh, like they're offering something better. They're offering, they're offering a kind of, a kind of, kind of, con- sort of pretend constructed nostal- sort of nostalgic optimism, mm, mm. but. If that's if that's all they got, yeah, well, yeah, got, I'm really obsessed with that one because yeah, well, I, I'm really obsessed with that one in particular because it comes up all the time and it's like such a low stakes thing where I'm like, honey, just go in the kitchen. There's a sink. Yeah. I don't know. No, you can drink out of hose now. No one's going to stop you from well, doing rem- that. I think, I think, Phoebe, like a while ago, you mentioned this thing about how growing up in Britain, like a lot of when you grow up in Britain means having to like navigate and negotiate boredom mm. in like a place where like for the most part things are very very boring Mm. so the stuff that like like drinking out of a hose or in my case like smoking like a very badly rolled like spliff Mm. um does remain like one of the best moments of my life (laughs) um and i can understand why people would like romanticize that when uh you know it's more about feeling of just like stuff being kind of like easier to negotiate and be carefree i think as we mentioned in like the previous episode with like when we talked about the trad aesthetic it's not even that like these are types these are kind of like memory the people who are sort of sharing them like they 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 weren't around in the 1950s or if they were kind of about they were very very young um so they weren't kind of so it's, it's more it's also this sort of like aspirational thing too right it's this idea that like oh this person in this drawing looks like they've got their shit together mm. and I don't have my shit or it doesn't feel like I have my shit together. And like, there are kind of lots of good material reasons for like why a lot of people don't feel they're in control of their lives right now. Mm. So it's, and mm. uh, Eleanor, as you mentioned, like it's a very kind of compelling narrative of like, you know, it's, it's less like, let's go back to a certain period of time when, when like patriarchy was more of a standard. Um, yeah. It's more, why don't we go back to a time when things kind of looked easier for people because things are very difficult to deal with right now. 
And I think, you know, and I wonder, and this is kind of where I thought like the convergence was quite interesting because like the question that I've sort of had for a while is how aware these groups are of like their positionalities online and whether like the trads, for example, or even other like right wing kind of subcultures um, have kind of like enthusiastically jumped onto the turf like thing. Mm. Um, in some ways also being like, you know, one of the most remarkable things I've seen is like right wing people. And I'm not going to name names, even though this is a bonus episode, just because, you know, stuff can get leaked out or like a very popular right wing YouTuber who made his name being like an anti-feminist and like went to like conferences and, you know, vidcons and stuff where he would kind of be very openly provocative of all kinds of feminism to now be positioning himself as someone who like defends like mm. when feminism was proper right yeah and you know yeah. um and now it's all just filled with like postmodern wokeness and who did an event like fairly recently with like a fairly well-known like british turf right yeah um someone who like a few years ago i imagine would be very would be sort of hostile to like share a platform with him now they are kind of like ideological allies and i mm. and i and i guess I'm, I'm just curious about like their how aware like these right-wing groups are of like their positions online and whether they're sort of like exploiting perhaps like um turfs who have a lot of political power now but don't necessarily understand themselves in relation to these other like right-wing communities i'm not saying that all of them don't because there are very mm. clearly like some of them do but i'm also I, you know i don't know if that makes any sense mm. but like i just no. wonder i wonder how much like they're kind of um you know as the turf sort of become extremely online in a very specific and as you mentioned like a kind of boomery way how these more sophisticated right-wing groups who have a much more acute understanding of how online works are able to kind of leverage that to their advantage yeah, it's interesting because so for example um i saw some troll last night who uh, essentially created an account to um defend louis ck um and say that louis ck had not oh, um that's a, good, who, that's a good use of your time yeah, right. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna get online. I'm gonna defend this rich person, right? So he got on to say that Louis C.K. didn't actually sexually assault anybody. Um, and the two things this account was doing were saying that trans women shouldn't be allowed to compete in sport mm -hmm. because oh, women are oh, they're just tiny. Women are just oh, they're just tiny little. And any time that like anyone who was you know ever you know seen as masculine competes, then all women will. Uh, automatically be beat which is you know a ridiculousity but at the same time was accusing people who said no like louis ck sexually assaulted some women of um infantilizing women because those women could have left the room at any time so it's a really interesting one because on the one hand he's completely infantilizing women and it's like oh no they're like oh women are tiny little babies um all men are always bigger and stronger but at the same time um it's like they women are also like strong enough to leave a room in like a, this particularized power dynamic you know when their boss is wanking at them right so this like and, and you know it's like the perfect perfect example of of how people in the kind of like trad side of things see it you know whereas it's like uh women are simultaneously you know kind of like weak and strong um and I mean, I suppose they could be, they could accuse, you know, people on the left of, of sort of thinking the same thing. But, you know, um, again, it's, it's one of these things where it's like, I mean, literally here we have like a rape apologist um, who at the same time, you know, is kind of like stoking the the fears of these people who accuse like a, group, a particularized group of women of being the ones who do the raping. So um, that's interesting, mm. right? Um, mm. And I think it's, it's this really particular kind of posting where, you know, when you if you show that, though, like to the kind of like turf posters, 
uh, they are just going to kind of ignore it. That's the thing. Is it's like there's there's a kind of like um, object permanence for them that doesn't exist. Where it's like, well, no, that's just like you know, it's it's a totally smooth brain that then it goes back to like kind of saying the same things over and over again. And I mean, I suppose we've also seen that with this whole like Daily Mail turfs thing this week. Oh yes, uh, this campaign. Uh, the campaign. Mm. Uh, if you respect my sex, if you want my ex, which. Which is uh, so incredibly bad. Um, you like my, it, if you want my what? If you want my if you want my ex, mm-hmm. as, as in, in like vote. Yeah. Uh, oh right, my respect sex. my sex. I see. And yeah. it's led by these three boomer women, like one of whom has is like on the record as saying that the gender pay ba- gap should be larger. Okay. You know because of you know men men be working and you know how women be having babies and also shopping. Personally. They do. They do always be shopping. I they do be shopping. So, like, the, and this is kind of like the logical conclusion of all these things. It, it is if you know you have this kind of like biological determinism, you're you're going to end up in bed with you know the people who say that you know. I mean, what, so what I was going to say is that like with this particular uh, with the uh, respect my sex or you won't get my ex, uh, which also I, like I've. It's not a very good slogan, is it? Like, I'm not like obviously it's. It sounds to me like a bad kind of like polyamorous thing. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. you know, it's like all right, well, I'm not gonna. I'm not, if you don't respect me, this, then yeah, I'm respect, not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna put in a word with my ex. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like like something that you might hear in like PSHE. Mm. They don't respect mm. your sex. They don't get your ex. Yeah, like, right. like, like, right. like obviously it's a good thing if they are like inflicting a kind of unforced error on themselves by coming up with terrible slogans like i'm not saying like you know what guys yeah, tell you what let's workshop this we can come up with something better that's like quite obviously not what i'm saying um but i mean if you are somebody who uh is into biological essentialism isn't it isn't it in a way better if you do come out with stuff like yeah but like women have babies so obviously they should be paid less like isn't like isn't that at least isn't that at least like a coherent and consistent ideology Mm, rather mm, than like mm. cutting about being like yeah i am a feminist however um for whatever reason my feminism is now structured around something which has its has its origin uh in in kind of it's a very kind of very kind of like sort of norm sort of normal fascist thought like mm. what like why mm. would why is that, why is that what you'd go for like of all of all things why is that what you'd go for so uh, so so at least with this particular woman at least it makes sense for her to be like no of course i'm not a feminist don't be mad and here is an example of something that i'm not a feminist about i don't know i don't maybe that's no, like, maybe no, that's I, like, I, maybe that's like confused as an idea maybe that's like and honestly maybe at this point it that's like that's like a little bit kind of naive and Starry I'm afraid that, no, I, I agree with you completely here because like actually, you know, what TERFs argue for, you know, even if they are just some lib is like, obviously this completely retrograde thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, where, where in, you know, there, it's just kind of like w- woman's lot to suffer. Um, and that like, you know, trans women can't possibly understand that. And, you know, they're all sick perverts. And really, you know, there's the real world is a place where women actually absolutely hate men but are kind of like forced to be with them um and that and your husband sucks and your life sucks and everything sucks but you're gonna get mad at like mm. trans women about it mm. it's, it's not ideologically consistent at all it, it doesn't make any sense it's just then you know yeah. these, these women fundamentally cannot be feminists mm. 
mm-hmm. if this this is the argument that you're making. You can't say yeah. that like I'm defined by you know my reproductive capacity and also be a feminist. So like they they're the ones being dishonest. You know the Daily Mail chicks like they're they're just out here telling you exactly how they feel about it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like again, like obviously, like my like I don't want like the kind of the logical next step of what I'm saying to be like, you know, the thing is, is what they need is more ideological coherence. So could you maybe do that? <laughs> um, that's like, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. I just think it's, I just think it's sort of, sort of curious and interesting. Um, like at this point as well, like something's just occurred, to, just occurred to me when we've been talking about this, um, just in case, just in case, like this is something that uh, listeners have, are sort of thinking about like while, like while they're listening. Um, mm. And that is like, obviously it might feel a bit like, uh, maybe a bit off to have like three cis people talking about this. However, mm. that was a deliberate decision on our part because we don't want to like get our trans guests just on to talk about transphobia and just on to talk about Yeah, trans- it's not really fair. <laughs> because like, it's yeah. not like this is not something that they have to think about like quite a lot of the time. And I know personally, yeah. I would find it, I would find it, I would find it offensive if I was deemed to be the kind of the, like the kind of the go-to, uh, mm. like kind of the go-to guest on like whatever like whatever like whatever about like my like my kind of like disparate identities might make my life harder and like the mm. only thing that I'm deemed to be interesting about is that mm. and we also don't want to necessarily put our trans friends through this shit by like making them relitigate it they know like they know about it they they know yeah, about they, it they get asked yeah. about it they get asked to go on pods to talk about it and so like this is this was like a, a deliberate decision yeah. because we don't we don't want to make we don't want to we don't want to do that to them again and it's also like, like worth noting that like they're you know obviously like the stakes are much 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 higher for them. Mm. Um, mm. Um, yeah, because like what what I was sort of trying to <laughs> trying to articulate were about like how aware and Eleanor, I think like you kind of like actually kind of pointed to the beginnings of this, which is like this kind of like reductive this reductive kind of view like gender essentialism and mm. um, you know it, it kind of like puts turfs into i don't necessarily like say it's a kind of trap but you're right in the sense of they're not really advocating for any sort of you know alternative or like a future or like a better future or even just like what their kind of political vision is um the trads like have kind of presented this aesthetic idea of like what you know your life could be if we just kind of return like you know other right-wing groups have sort of done the same um the turfs haven't really done that and like one of the things i've always found confusing um it seems to be like confusing for lots of people like you know approaching this without kind of like an overt ideological like then is mm. like what are you really trying to advocate here um and the answer really doesn't seem and I, and I wonder that whether that's why like certain kind of like turfs um and like certain kind of well-known turfs in this space are like have had to kind of embrace these types of kind of like right-wing kind of fascist uh aesthetic fantasies because mm. there isn't really anything else to kind of like ground their kind of you know uh the ground the gender essentialism in and in order for it to sort of be effective in order for it to be as effective as it is in terms in terms of like policy they have to kind of tie it into um like some kind of broader ideological framework and the one that they've just happened to sort of be much more accustomed to is one which happens to just be like extremely fascist and uh you know exclusionary and like violent right like quite overtly violent in a lot of ways mm-hmm. it's also why i think for for a lot of turfs like you know, a lot of their kind of like, you know, when they're not sort of doing kind of bathroom policing, a lot of the stuff is like, 
oh, the left left me and like I've grown really disillusioned with the left. And like if I happen to be on this like overtly right wing podcast and agreeing so much, that's only because the left made me feel really disillusioned. And like mm-hmm. all these mm-hmm. kind of things about like, you know, oh, the left is obsessed with identity politics and all that stuff. And like we're but we know we we we're we're much more focused on like class based issues, which like clearly like, they I'm aren't. Sorry, like, even... that's, that's like that's like yeah, the it's nonsense, biggest right? bunch of bollocks I've ever heard in my entire yeah. life. Kind of central organizing apparatus of British media basically yeah. spent the whole of the start of the first lockdown going on about how why should why should I carry on paying my cleaner? I need my cleaners. Like, yeah, you care about class issues. Yeah, 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 liars. yeah. It is, yeah it, it, it's it's mm. non it's nonsense, but I wonder whether like they have to sort of engage in that nonsense in order for like their stuff. Because like if I I I just don't think that like if it kind of just stayed I, I feel like the kind of like very online aspect of this is the is the idea that like this whatever position they have it has to sort of exist within a broader tapestry and one that like mm. tends to be kind of more integrated into like existing forces on the internet anyway and what is like the most one of the most like ancient uh, or like one of the oldest kind of like internet subcultures uh it happened not even subcultures like internet cultures it happens to be right-wing fascism so it's like very easy for it to like not only reach proximity there but to kind of be actively embraced by it and now they found themselves in a situation where like they can't really disavow them because like if they do openly disavow them um then like any sort of like political salience that they have like gets diminished Mm -hmm. so instead what they choose to do when you point out and be like hey like you realize that these actually overt fascists with like nazi symbols in their in their like twitter users are like sharing your stuff and don't you think that's a bit dangerous or like a bit worrying is to either ignore it or eleanor as you mentioned to be like oh you know uh even a broken clock like you know is right twice or whatever yeah i mean i think there's also something that's that 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 goes on here um you know which, which i think is just kind of like um in terms of the there's a lack of political imagination like uh around especially you know people within these uh you, you know there's a particular background it's really obsessed with turfery and it's this kind of like middle class uh, white woman thing and you know here we are at the end of history right and you know in a, in a kind of like neoliberal space where the only thing that we have been given the only thing that we have to look forward to is posting right it's like nothing's ever <laughs> going to change this is just what like the reality of the situation is but look you have the internet right and so these these people these turfs can't imagine a future where things are actually better for women because they've been told that this is the end of the road right you know it was like the, their high point was the 2012 olympics and you know they're they're online now and so all that they can kind of do is sort of attempt to safeguard what they see mm. as as their kind of like rights their rights and you know the, the, these particular things they can't give you a better vision because it's really wedded to and mired in these kind of conditions these positions about a neoliberalism and i mean then within that as well because of how posting works a lot of the time and and actually indeed they are the ones who are obsessed with identity politics you know they genuinely do believe that kind of like oppression <laughs> is is like a game of top trumps and it, it's like a, it's a lacanian issue you know like they they desire their own oppression in order to kind of like win in in an online argument right and so as far as they're concerned women are the most oppressed group quote unquote but they don't want to do anything about that oppression. They just want you to say that. Mm. They just want to mm. say no one has suffered like you have, you know, Sharon, because, <laughs> you know, because your husband leaves the toilet seat up. You're the most hard done person because they see it as kind of like an Internet fight. Like that's what posting is. And so, right. Yeah. Yeah. It all kind of like swings together there. Mm. 
I think what's I think what's interesting and in, because we're talking about it like it's a kind of like it's an organic thing and not something as Eleanor said earlier something that is uh funded it's it's funded mm-hmm. it has a structure uh it's a it's a deliberate yeah. soup that's being pushed but I do think there's something else interested in terms of how uh how political culture is organized uh particularly in the UK but I'm sure I'm sure this is the case elsewhere um and I'm sure that part of it is uh sort of sort of grows out of um grows out of kind of anti-communism and anti anti-labor movements and uh like after the like after the war this interesting assumption that you could uh make use of and control uh former fascists mm, as mm. a way of uh as a way of kind of tackling any kind of sort of worker organization or solidarity um what i think is interesting is that we have a political culture where whether or not you can pal around with people who you otherwise disagree with is something which is only extended as a luxury to certain sorts of people so mm. so for example so jk so jk mm. rowling has been it has been exposed as being friends with this um with this uh woman who's a member of this sort of catholic pressure group and they are anti-choice and they are extremely homophobic uh they are also extremely transphobic and so she so that's something that she's like quite keen on um but she has always insisted all the way along that her transphobia is rooted in her is rooted in her feminism and is rooted in her feminism as being something generated by the uh by the material nature of her body of her what she calls her Mm. sexed body that's what that's what generates her feminism so if you are interested in somebody and if you are interested in the idea of um a of like a political of a set of political feelings being generated by and i and i'm not talking about materialism i'm talking about a kind of a material fact if you're talking about your politics being generated by your body then anti then mm. someone who is anti choice should by their very nature be morally repugnant to you mm, um mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and i'm structuring this in a particular way because i find anti-choice as a position um morally repugnant i don't think it's i don't think it's the i don't think it's the right position um but it's definitely definitely not the right position if you are if you are fixated on the idea of womanhood taking root in your capacity for reproduction if that's mm. where you think the root of your womanhood and therefore the root of your feminism is then somebody wanting to take away your control over that route should be foul to you. It shouldn't just be a kind of, well, uh, we don't agree on that. We don't agree on that. We don't agree yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. you know, we're friends. It's fine. We can, you can disagree on stuff because this is allegedly what is supposed to be central to her feminist thought. Mm, mm. So... So which is it? So again, so, so yes, yeah, so which, like, yeah. which fucking is it? Um, and she also claims to be transphobic in defense of lesbians. Um, now this woman has yeah. now claimed that she doesn't mind lesbians. It's gay men that she's got the beef with, which I think is amazing. Oh. Like imagine being like, imagine being it's like, so medieval. Ah. imagine having a kind of specific kind of type of homophobia. You're just like, you're like, you're literally just being like, okay, yeah, no, okay, fine. No, I wouldn't call myself a vegetarian. 
Um, but like, I don't eat red meat. Yeah, it, so that's like just, your that's your homophobia. <laughs> it's just extremely funny to me because it um it kind of you know you know it links back to kind of like ancient and medieval ideas about well you know like we're obviously you can't be homophobic because they don't have an idea of gay people. Yeah. Uh, but like you know the version of sodomy that is like worse is like men. Mm. Uh, fucking about not women although you know women shouldn't be doing it either but men are worse because um, mm. they are by having sex with each other they're becoming feminized okay, and the yeah. worst thing to do is be a woman yeah whereas um well in the first place like with women it's like oh well you know they're not really fucking anyways mm-hmm. so who so who cares um but in the second place oh well i mean they're trying to act like men so yeah. Well, so that's fine. So, that, so, so that's fine. That's mm-hmm. something that doesn't bother them. But yeah, so yeah. So, so yeah, so it's it's shameful. It's shameful to be a woman. And so if you, as you know, the, the way that they think about um, trans people is they they think it's like oh, so if you are you are in their thinking actually a man, but you're trying to be a woman, mm. well that's shameful. Then, uh, and if uh, yeah, you're yeah. a man who and if you're a man who's attracted to other men, again you're behaving like a woman, so that's shameful. Yeah. So actually, you know. It, it's still a patriarchal position which places you know men as you know higher on mm. on the ladder and that like anything that deviates from like cis heteronormative masculinity is therefore seeking to be like a woman and you should never seek to be like a woman yeah absolutely and and, and again as this is again I, again like do not do not mistake what i'm saying at all for me like asking for there to be some kind of ideological coherence in transphobia <laughs> because it has like because it's like infected quite enough of our like policy stru- policy and media structures without their bit without it actually even making sense so like obviously i'm not saying can you just make it make a bit more sense and then i'll be on board like that's obviously mm-hmm. not what i'm saying but what i'm saying is that if is if there was a figure like jk Rowling, i was about to say if there was a figure like jk Rowling who was like deemed to be like a leftist but of course uh somebody who was deemed to be a leftist would never be allowed to become as famous and rich as she is yeah um, exactly but like certainly not as certainly not as famous but left uh, but like left leftist people in the public eye are um it is demanded of them that they that they have to agree with every single position of friends and colleagues otherwise they are either agreeing with uh something which might be deemed to be kind of dangerous or offensive or whatever or they are hip or they are kind of rank hypocrites and i think that it's i think that what's interesting because obviously because obviously when people um when people try to kind of challenge what sort of rowling has to say for herself um it's never her fans who are challenging her but you would think that at least some of them would say actually um i thought that you weren't it wasn't about homophobia and then you're mm, and then mm. you're kind of because it's not like you uh, it's not like you probably get i don't know how many replies rowling must get in like a single day but if she's specifically tracking somebody down in order to kind of publicly send them hugs and kisses that suggests that that's somebody who she doesn't mind being publicly associated with yeah yeah and if someone said to her but they're a homophobe they're like they're they're a homophobe and they also think that women shouldn't be that women and anyone who anyone else who can get pregnant shouldn't be allowed to shouldn't be allowed to access uh, access terminations um then her response would be like oh what and you agree with every single thing your friends say do you or you know or worse of that effect but Mm. but left-wing people are are forced into those kinds of positions and like and again i'm not saying i think that there are 
I think it was very, very regrettable. I think it's very regrettable how many, uh, how many people who are still taken seriously in some left spaces who still like who still deny the Bosnian genocide. I think that's regrettable, and I also would not personally wish to be either a friend or a colleague with someone who who did deny the Bosnian genocide or any genocide for that matter. Yeah, because yeah. I find genocide deniers morally repugnant, just as J.K. Rowling should find anti-choice people morally repugnant. But there are people who have like different, like kind of sort of slightly different, differing views on, say, like what the right kind of what the right kind of strategy and tactic going forward for the left in this country is, and the position of somebody like Rowling and her friends, and the way that political attention and political education <coughs> is set up, is that it would not that would not be permissible that's not a permissible way of thinking and doing and thinking and doing politics but for but for people like Rowling and it's not just because she's extremely rich and extremely famous it's because of where she lies on the political spectrum that she is allowed to mm. have friends with whom she disagrees yeah yeah that's absolutely true yeah yeah it's just it's agree- mad isn't it it's mad uh, it's the whole higher standards thing and it's exhausting and um, I'm very tired and angry all the time. Mm. <laughs> That's great. It's a great, it's a, it's a great way to operate. Um, I'm very <laughs> conscious. I'm gr- very conscious that we are running out of time. Um, I guess like I, I've been struggling to kind of think of like what a kind of way to wrap up this conversation would be. Cause again, it's like this very kind of big conversation and one that like, kind of it kind of has like some real I, I i guess like a way to wrap it up then uh like as a kind of question is about like proximity to like online space and i know that you know ne- none of us are kind of saying that oh you know like turfs need to sort of be more ideologically coherent and like you know no. <laughs> um i just want to reiterate none of us are no. saying that no. um but i guess it's but i guess it's more like i wonder if like turfs are a good example of you know because like the one thing that we can kind of say about them is that like as a kind of you know for according to like recent polls and stuff like they're very they're still like a relatively fringe movement and one that like most of the country doesn't kind of support let alone support in the capacity that like um they currently warrant in policy right so which is to say that like they're extremely influential um and i wonder whether like turfs operate more as like signal boosters or ways of kind of um you know so you have like your kind of like right-wing contingents who have like aesthetic dreams and like uh they have like the ideological framework that has obviously that has sort of been around for a very very long time um and in turfs what they have done is like found a way of like basically channeling that into a like a policy framework right so you know it begin you know it can begin with like it can begin with like hostile policies to like trans people when it comes to bathrooms and to like sports and all that stuff but like it's very clear that based on both the language that like turfs are using but also like the turf adjacent people but like it doesn't end there this isn't just about like even if you want to take turfs at like face value this is not about like having separate spaces for women um this is very much like an ideological and cultural uh project which is like really designed to kind of curtail a lot of rights and progress that has been made both in terms of women's rights and to like lgbtq rights as well right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and i wonder whether like 
you know, Eleanor, whether you kind of see TERFs as just kind of more of like a way of signaling these to government or as a kind of convenient way, like basically because TERFs like have so much proximity to government and to like the infrastructure of power that right-wing forces like see them as a useful way of uh, attaining their ambitions without having to necessarily engage with like the system electorally or like to run for an election and win. Mm. Um, yes, <laughs> I guess that is my answer here. And I suppose the way that I, the way that I relate um, to TERFs is these are people, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking more broadly of, of the cis women who are TERFs, um, you know, the cis men who are TERFs. Again, I, I think they're just trying to get laid and also they're homophobes and they hate women. <laughs> that, I mean, that's obvious. Like, you know exactly what TERF men are doing. Um, I think TERF women are attempting to cement their space as um, the most oppressed that a person can be in order to kind of explain, you know, if, if here, like in the, the, what should be our like glorious neoliberal forever, um, they are still disadvantaged. Um, and the ways that they see disadvantage existing are like, um, I don't know, uh, they seem to say like domestic violence, which is interesting. They're, they're obsessed with domestic violence, but always worried about people in changing rooms. Okay. Um, and also the fact that um, they don't get to be prime minister. Or, you know, they didn't get right. that. They didn't get the promotion to middle management, which are the and, and they have to do the dishes. Right. Um, and then their husband never helps clean up. So they're, they're attempting to kind of like uh, say, well, this is, you know, the problem here is just that I'm always going to be oppressed in this. Uh, this sucks. And, you know, and men suck. But I'm going to be mad at trans women. And I think that um, right wing people see this for for what it is which is, you know, a, a fundamentally yeah. conservative position. Um, and, but they realize that um, that is easier and more palatable to kind of uh, present in terms of a public face of things. So it kind of does two things. In the first place, it gets what they want to happen. But in the second place, it also legitimizes them mm. somewhat. So, you know, by the time that J.K. Rowling is liking your posts when you're like an absolute right-wing Catholic nut job, that legitimizes you. Right. So, yes, yeah. you know, it, it, so it, it's it's doing a little bit of both. And, you know, there's no difference to me here that like between when I see women kind of writing this turf stuff, then when I see, you know, like um, women in the Middle Ages writing about how they are wretched creatures in the meeker sex and, you know, milder in, in their bids for sainthood, where they kind of like lean into the, oh, yeah, I'm a woman, so I'm I'm bad. Um, and weak and whatever. And yet I've still attained this level of holiness, right? It's, it's the same to me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I think, yeah, you're completely right as always. Um, that's right. <laughs> that is right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, should we, should we wrap up? Yeah, I think, oh, yes. I think we're done here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, another, another, another optimistic fun episode of 10,000 posts. No, right. uh, Dr. Helena, thank you so much uh, for joining us once again. Uh, this is a really interesting um, and useful episode. I'm, just, I'm sure like we'll revisit like a lot of the themes, uh, unfortunately, very soon, uh, <laughs> judging by the way things are going. Um, but in the meantime, uh, uh, is there anything you'd like to plug or like anything uh, you'd like to talk about before, um, as we wrap up? Yeah, go on. Um, so you can check out my comic book. It's out if you want to learn more about the Middle Ages called The Middle Ages, A Graphic History. Um, you can check out uh, my little podcast where I talk about history stuff more specifically, which is called We're Not So Different. Um, and on History Hit TV, my new series um, that focuses on medieval pleasure, the first episode on uh, sex is out on Thursday. 
So if you want to see me talk about medieval stuff more specifically, um, that's where to do it. So my, um, my, uh, the guy, uh, my mechanic, I don't have a mechanic, but the mechanic that I go to, mm. uh, he had, he was watching history hit TV, uh, the other week. Uh, oh. I'm pretty sure that's what it was called. So like I, I, so somewhere in, uh, in, in zone four or five of Southeast London, um, a mechanic, uh, who just is called Baz and sold, sold yes. eggs during the lockdown, yes. uh, may have watched your show. Fantastic. I'd love to hear it. Shout out to Bath. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, thank you for listening to this bonus episode of 10,000 Posts. We really appreciate it. Uh, share it with your friends. Share it to people, with people who you think might be interested in it. Uh, you can encourage them to get a subscription. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash 10K Post Podcast. You know that because you've got it on the website. Um, if you want to plug anything, I've always, like, I always struggle to figure out what to plug on bonus episodes. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, if you would like to listen to me and Milo Edwards's uh, Seinfeld podcast, that's Masters of Our Domain, and you can follow it um, over on Twitter at Masters of Pod, and that's where we post the episodes and the updates. And the most, and the current one that's out at the moment has uh, has Dr. Eleanor on. So mm, it's that's right. So it's, double so bill, it's really a that's it's right, really baby. a double bill for Doctor. Mm, yeah, I bet she didn't have to talk about Tenet. Um, I'm still like, I'm still recovering. I'm still recovering from my episode and just like you're saying, the you, disillusionment. You asked us pretty much every week for a year to come on and talk about Tenet. We, we, you came on and talked about Tenet. It's not our fault that you realized while talking to us that it actually sucks. <laughs> That's not that's awful. Like, that's a real, this is a real, you know, yeah, I just, you're I, making, sir. It, yeah. It's very much like my part of your personality, but just like disseminates in front of you. Um, yeah, the show is produced by Devin. You can follow them at Devin underscore on Earth. You can follow their podcast, Kill James Bond. Um, I think that's it from us. So until next time, we'll catch you later. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. Let's go, girls. Come on.